Again, it's, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, we're jumping right back into our study now um, in Philippians uh, this morning. Uh, I hope you all are ready, uh, that you're energized and expectant uh, this morning, because I believe that God has something to say to each and every one of us today. And so if you do have a Bible, um, I encourage you, by the way, uh, I say this every week, if you have a Bible, pull it out, turn to Philippians 2. Um, but I will just make a note um, before I even start today. Uh, today is a, a day that you're going to want your Bible, okay? I'm not going to go verse by verse, and all the verses are going to be on the screen. There's like six slides this morning, okay? And so um, I really encourage you, even if you're at home, pull out your phone um, and, or, or get a physical copy of God's Word. Um, so that you can follow along uh, with us this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians 2. Um, Now, as we we study through this letter together, uh, one of the things uh, that we've seen, uh, maybe the most predominant thing, actually, uh, at least in regards to Paul, is that the controlling factor uh, in his life, the, the primary grid through which Paul interpreted reality, was the supreme worth and incomparable beauty of Jesus Christ. And we've seen this over and over again, right? That he says things like, that for, for to him to, to have Jesus, to be in Christ, to be forgiven by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to be part of Jesus' people was what he considered true gain. You remember in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said it this way, for me to live is Christ, it's on the banner in the back behind me, um, and to die is gain. And then just six verses after that, in verse 27 of chapter 1, he goes on to say this. He says, therefore, therefore, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is really the big idea of this entire letter. He's, He's saying there, because Jesus, because Jesus Christ is so supremely worthy, let your life display that supreme worth. And then the rest of the letter, Paul unpacks what that looks like, how we do that, which is what we've been studying together the last few weeks. So we've seen how we can do that through our unity with one another. Pastor Levi preached about that. We've looked at what that looks like through our spreading the good news of the gospel through how we handle opposition. And then last week, we've seen that we can do that through thankful attitudes, joy-filled attitudes, not hearts that grumble and complain, right? These are ways that we work out our salvation or live our lives worthy of the gospel. Well, then today, we're going to look at verses 19 through 30. And here, what Paul does is, it's interesting. He sort of inserts for us an illustration of living our lives worthy of the gospel. He gives us an example of working out our salvation. Up to this point, uh, Paul has been giving us a lot of, uh, I'll say, heavy or, or weighty theology. Right? It's sort of, some of this is kind of, we're up in the ivory tower, sort of up in the clouds, all these theological terms and things. But now, now, to this, this morning, Uh, He's going to give us something very practical. He's going to give us a real-life picture of all that he's been saying. And to do that, to do that, he's using two men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul has told us 
that we should, just previous to this, in the beginning of chapter 2, he's told us that we should do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind to regard others more highly than we do ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. And now today, he gives us two real men in a real time, in a real place, who are doing what Paul has told us to do and are exemplifying what Paul has told us to be. And so that's where we are today. We're going to consider the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then from there, from their lives, I want to pull out three, three guiding principles that I believe will help us be the type of people that Christ wants us to be. All right? That's where we're heading today. So, uh, let's start by meeting these two men. Okay? I want to introduce you to these two men. We'll start with Timothy. Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Well, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you know that this name, Timothy, comes up quite a bit. But the first time that we meet him is actually in Acts chapter 16, which was during uh, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. It says this there in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Okay, this is a place in modern-day Turkey. Uh, by the way, it's in the middle of nowhere. Okay, very, very small, insignificant town. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Okay, so what we know about Timothy, his mom trusted Jesus. His mom was a follower of Christ, but his dad was not. Okay, so he comes from sort of a broken spiritual home. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Okay, so he has a reputation. Um, he's faithful. So this is our introduction to Timothy. And then from there, if you were to look at the next verse, which we won't put on the screen, but from there, what we learn is that Paul actually um, invites Timothy to join him, to become a part of his traveling church planting team. And from here, from that invitation, um, starts this, this really deep, meaningful friendship. We see throughout the New Testament um, that Paul and Timothy are extremely close, working together, teaching together. Uh, Timothy delivered letters for Paul. Um, he addressed uh, pastoral issues at churches on behalf of Paul. So he's kind of a spokesman for Paul. Uh, And he deeply cared for Paul, whether they were on mission together or even while Paul was in prison. The many times he was in prison, Timothy was there. Uh, Timothy is so close to the Apostle Paul that he's actually mentioned in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, here in Philippians, Colossians, of course, 1st and 2nd Timothy, written directly to him, the book of Philemon, and Hebrews. Okay, so of Paul's 13 letters, he's in like nine of them or something. Okay? He's, he's there a lot. And throughout Paul's writings, we, we, see, we see Paul call Timothy things like his fellow worker, uh, his beloved, his faithful child. He calls him my brother, uh, my, my servant of Christ, my coworker in the gospel. And he even calls him my true child. And here in Philippians 2, verses 20 through 22, Paul says this about Timothy. He says this, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned 
for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. And so uh, we get an important glimpse into the character of Timothy here. That, that Timothy had a genuine love for Jesus' people. It wasn't artificial. right? It was real, genuine. And I find it interesting uh, that Paul doesn't say that Timothy was a great teacher. Uh, he doesn't say that he was a great leader. He doesn't say that Timothy was this uh, magnificent visionary. Right? In fact, from other writings, especially in First and Second Timothy, which again were written by Paul directly to Timothy, we see that um, actually that Timothy was a little bit of a, a timid person. It was more of his character. And perhaps some scholars believe it's pretty evident that Timothy probably dealt with some levels of anxiety and fear in his life, maybe as a young man, you know, trying to do ministry for the first time. And so Timothy wasn't some super Christian, right? We're going to get about to this later, but I want you to know that even from the beginning. He's not some like super Christian. But what, what this does say, this does say is that he loved Jesus and he loved Jesus' people. That he had a genuine concern for people. Timothy was a normal guy, everyday guy from the middle of nowhere, actually. Again, came from a divided family, at least spiritually, but, but he had obviously been gripped by the grace of God. He opened his life to be used by the Lord, and so God used him, all right? And so that's Timothy. And now, what about uh, Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus, what do we know about him? Well, what we have here in Philippians 2 is actually about it, right? There's one other reference to him, um, which is in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 18, where Paul says there that he received from Epaphroditus the gifts that the church of Philippi uh, sent to him. But that's really all we have in the entirety of the New Testament. But even so, even though that's the case, just two references to him, here's what we can gather. Apparently, Epaphroditus was from the church at Philippi. And he probably met Jesus okay, through the ministry there. Probably, maybe even knew Paul. It seems like he did even before. And at some point, the church heard, the church at Philippi heard that Paul was put in prison in Rome. Okay? That, that word got passed to the church at Philippi. Hey, Paul went to prison in Rome. And you have to understand, right? this is something that, again, it's important to understand context. You have to understand um, that in that day, prisoners were responsible for finding a way to support themselves. Right? It wasn't like today where a person that's put in prison, they get like TV and books and snacks. And some of these prisons have like couches, like recliners, like all on your, your taxpayer's dollars. Okay, anyway. But that's how it is, right? But people back then... You're a criminal. You had to figure out how to survive in prison. And they didn't really care about you. If you die there because you're not taken care of or no one's going to take care of you, whatever. But you got to figure out a way to take care of yourself. And so with that, the church at Philippi heard Paul's in prison. And so what they do, they put together this really large gift. And they send it to Paul through Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus makes the journey... From Philippi to Rome, he delivers the package, but then apparently 
Shortly after his arrival to Rome, he gets sick. So sick, actually, Paul tells us that he almost dies. Okay? Almost dies. Thankfully, though, he recovers. And along with his recovery, Paul writes the letter to Philippians. This letter that we've been studying. And he gives that letter to Epaphroditus to go back to Philippi with it. Right? With this letter in hand, Epaphroditus has this letter in hand. And so the church can now receive encouragement because Epaphroditus is faithful to take the letter, the package to Paul, the letter of Philippians back to Philippi. Okay? That's what happened. That's the context. And again, it, this is brief. It's brief, but even in these short verses, we can get a glimpse of Epaphroditus' character. For example, look at verse 26. It says this. It says, Paul says, he, being Epaphroditus, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Right Now, this is really easy detail to miss, but notice there, it doesn't say that he was distressed because he was ill, right? That's not what it says. It says he was distressed because they were worried about him. Because they, were, they, they heard about that he was sick. I'm, 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 I'm broken because you heard I'm sick. Imagine that. But, and, but again, that tells us something about his character, right? That like Timothy, he had a genuine con- concern for the church. He had a genuine concern for Jesus' people. In fact, in verse 29, Paul says that Epaphroditus nearly died for what? Why did he die? Almost die. It says there in verse 29, for the work of Christ. Which tells us again, clearly, this man loved Jesus to the point of putting his own life at risk. And so, what we have here with Epaphroditus besides having um, an incredibly difficult and long name, right? It, I, I wrote that name, Epaphrodite, I typed it like 40 times. I was, I was going to get ready to grumble and complain, right? But it's just, what we have with this guy is just another everyday normal guy who was available to the Lord. He had been gripped by the grace of Jesus And like Timothy, he was open to being used by Jesus even in the simplest ways like delivering a package and delivering a letter, whatever it required. Well, it's through their example, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the Apostle Paul himself that I want to now pull out three principles uh, that uh, that I hope will help us Uh, to know better how to be the people that Christ desires us to be, how to be people who live our lives worthy of the gospel, how to be people who really believe that to live is Christ. So the first principle is this. Number one, first principle is this. Put others ahead of yourself for the sake of Christ. Put others ahead of yourself for the sake of Christ. I think we we see this clearly in these, these three men. One thing that's clear as we study Philippians, um, and I've said this a few different times, but I think it's clear in this letter that we're not intended to follow Jesus alone. We don't pursue Christ in isolation or even with one or two close friends, right? God intends for us as his followers, as disciples, 
as those who trust him to, to be with one another, but also to serve one another. And we certainly see that with these men who are mentioned in this text. I mean, think about Paul for a minute. Okay? Think about the Apostle Paul. Paul is in prison right now writing this. And he, is, he knows that he's facing possible execution. He might die. And Timothy is one of his closest companions, closest friends. He was his like right-hand man. They traveled everywhere together, served each other. Right? And I already mentioned to you, Timothy deeply is caring for Paul. And so it would have been really understandable, right? Don't you think that the church at Philippi would have understood if Paul had said this? Look, guys, writing, look, I can't spare Timothy at this time. I don't know what's going to happen to me, so I need him here to make sure that he can care for me, whatever happens. So he's going to stay with me. It would have been understandable, but he doesn't say that. Instead, he says that he was willing to send Timothy to them for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of you, for your benefit, church. I'm sending him to you. Paul says, I am hoping to send Timothy to you soon. Why? Because I know that he'll care for you. Paul puts, the Apostle Paul puts the care and concerns of the church above his own concerns, above his own needs. And there are a few specific ways that you can tell if you have a concern for others. There are ways that we can tell. First of all, uh, you will have genuine love. If you want to know, do I have concern for others? A good way to know is, do you have genuine love? As you read through this section, you can see, you can almost feel uh, tangibly Paul's heartfelt love for these two men, but also for the church. And I already mentioned this, but notice again how Epaphroditus longed, longed for the Philippians and was sincerely concerned for them because they heard he was sick, right? That's verse 26. In fact, we already said this word, but Paul uses the word distressed there, distressed, to describe how he felt, which is a really significant word because it's the same word that's actually used to describe Jesus's concern while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It actually says of Jesus, he knows he's gonna die on the cross in hours, okay? He's, he's, he's praying, he's sweating blood, and the word, it says there, in that moment, he was distressed. And Paul chooses to use that same word of Epaphroditus and how he feels for the church, knowing that they're worried that he's sick. <laughs> there is a deep, deep, heartfelt love shown here. Deep feelings, deep feelings, emotions from Epaphroditus towards the Philippians. And, of course, we see this type of concern not just from Paul, not just from Epaphroditus, but also here displayed by Timothy as well. Again, it says of Timothy in verse 20 through 21 that he was not seeking his own interests, but the welfare of the church. In other words, Timothy wasn't doing ministry or he wasn't following Jesus for his own gain. He wasn't in it for his own reputation He wasn't in it for his own well-being. He was genuinely after the joy and the good of others, which is what it means, by the way, to be a true servant. 
And there is another sign of having genuine concern for others, I believe we see here as well. Yes, it's genuine love, heartfelt love, um, but also uh, you want to see others' joy above your own. That's, That's part of this. And then on top of that, it's it's seen in our ability to cooperate with others. It's seen in your ability to cooperate with others. In verse 22, we see that Timothy served with Paul for Christ, like what? Like a child with his father, it says. And likewise, we see Paul and Epaphroditus working together harmoniously for the sake of the kingdom of God, right? It's a true partnership. It's a meaningful, purposeful partnership that they're in together. But to do this, to to, to have this cooperation, this gospel cooperation, what it requires is it requires a dying of self. And again, it requires a, a putting others ahead of yourself. You have to, you have to see and believe that Jesus and his kingdom are worthy. You have to believe that Jesus is worth it if you're going to consider others before you actually consider yourself. And notice this as well. I think this is a really important to say, particularly in our Korean context. Okay, we always have to understand where we are, who we're, we're largely speaking to. I think this is really important for Korea. Notice that even though Paul... The Apostle Paul, he is clearly, by the way, he's clearly the leader. And and he had every right to be the leader, the head, as the apostle in these these relationships. He was probably, by the way, a good 25 years older than Timothy. We're not sure about Epaphroditus, but the way it's written in the language seems like he's younger. Okay, that we we, I think we know. But there's about a 25-year gap between Paul and Timothy. But notice... Paul never, he doesn't lord his position, his age, or his authority over either of these men. It's not the language here at all. There's no hierarchical language, by the way. It doesn't exist. Not here. Not in the gospel. No, what does he do? What does he do? Paul humbly calls Epaphroditus, the younger, his brother, right? Brother, his fellow worker, co-worker, fellow soldier together. There's an equality in his language. In verse 25, we see that, right? In other words, he deflects any glory from himself that probably he could have tried to gain. He deflects it away and lifts up these two faithful servants. It's true humility. So this is what we need to do as well. If we're going to be the type of people that Christ desires us to be. We need to be these people. If we're going to live in such a way that puts on display the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ, we need to humbly and graciously serve one another. We need to put ourselves, uh, or pour out ourselves, I should say, pour out ourselves for others. We need to be more concerned with giving than receiving. No easy task, right? Which, by the way, by the way, all of this is why we put so much emphasis here on being in discipleship, right? in this local church, on, on getting involved with a missional family, on joining a serve team. Not because we believe that the, that the end goal is being in a group. 
Not because I believe the end goal for your life is being on a serve team. Right? That's not it. Like, you, you know, you could check the books. They're open to you. I don't get a bonus because a certain percentage of you get in a missional family. Did you know that? I don't get like a bonus. I don't get a Christmas bonus because 80% of our church, you know, got into serve this week. What's the benefit for me of standing up here every week trying to convince you to serve? What do I get out of it? Other than joy, knowing, knowing that, and that I believe truly that if in your involved in discipleship, if you're serving with believers, you will, you will, not even because of me, because of him, you will learn to love others. You will learn to develop a deep concern for others. You'll learn to work with other people, which is not in our nature, for the sake of Christ and the gospel. That's the benefit. So that's the first principle. Put others ahead of yourself for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Second, I think their example gives us this principle as well. We see this, that Jesus advances his purposes in the world through everyday willing people. Through everyday willing people. Uh, Now, I do want to say that there are always um, exceptional people in our world. Okay, For example the Apostle Paul, right? There are maybe two, I'm trying to be, give a, a, an out there estimate, but you know this, right? There's maybe two to five people who are exceptional in every generation. Every generation has someone like a Jonathan Edwards, a Charles Spurgeon, more in our generation, a, a Billy Graham. Those are exceptions, right? But in general, the point and the principle here remains that the primary, the primary means by which God spreads and moves and carries out his purposes in the world are through everyday, ordinary, faithful, available, and willing people. And that's exactly what we see here with Paul, with Timothy, and with Epaphroditus. All of these guys, were, they're just ordinary guys, especially Timothy and Epaphroditus, just ordinary guys that were available made themselves available to the Lord. They were willing to go, they were willing to serve, and they were willing to sacrifice. And so I want to talk about that. We see with with both of these men, and of course, again, Paul as well, that they are willing to be sent anywhere. Anywhere. Think of Timothy. Think about Timothy. I shared this from Paul's perspective, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure in his heart, like, it wasn't easy for Timothy to leave Paul in Rome. Again, this, this is not just his mentor. This is not his boss, right? This was his father in the faith, right? This, this, you got to think about this. This young man, his father isn't following Jesus. He has no father figure in his life to learn the ways of Christ. Paul becomes that for him. And now, he's, and now Paul's saying, I'm sending you away. I'm sending you from me. And it's clear, we know this from church history as well, he was willing to go to Philippi and to serve the church. If it was Paul's desire for him to do so, he was willing, but even more so if it was God's will. He was willing to go wherever, whenever. And for Epaphroditus, of course we know, uh, he, he leaves we don't know a lot about him again, but we do know he leaves the comfort of his home. 
He travels to Rome. He risks his life in a time of deep persecution, intense persecution. He risks his life. Why? Because first and foremost, he knew who he was. He knew his identity in Christ as a servant of Christ. And that, 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 that information, that knowledge, that conviction made him be willing to be a sent one. Right? Not only that, notice, these men are willing not just to be sent anywhere, but they're also willing to serve anyone. To serve anyone. Again, Timothy served Paul faithfully. Served Paul faithfully, but he was willing to serve people and churches all over the Roman Empire, wherever he was needed. And we know he does that faithfully. In particular, in Ephesus. He was there pastoring those people for years. And the same was true for Epaphroditus. Whether it was in Philippi, whether it was in Rome, it didn't matter. He just loved people. He had a concern for people. He had a concern for the church. It reminds me a little bit of Philip. We know his story a little bit in Acts chapter 8. Uh, we know that Philip was, was used by God, right? We know to, to reach thousands and thousands of people in the area of Samaria, okay? We know that. Right? He was a, a great witness for the gospel. Uh, but at the same time, when the time came, we also know a story from Philip that he's traveling along a deserted, empty Rome, and he comes across an Ethiopian man there. And guess what? He's willing to stop, to teach, to serve, He was just available whenever, wherever, to whoever. That's the point here. And the final thing I'll say to this point is notice also these men are willing to sacrifice anything. They're willing to sacrifice anything. They're willing to go. They're willing to serve. They're willing to sacrifice. Like with Epaphroditus, right? He almost lost his life in service to Christ. Or with Timothy, he left everything. Don't miss that detail. In Acts 16, it doesn't give us the details. He just knows that he's got a family. He lives in this small town. And Paul says, let's go. And he leaves. But what does that mean? Right? He left the comforts of home. He left everything to follow and to serve with Paul. Gave up everything. Left his home, left his family, left his friends. Maybe he even gave up his job. Left it all. Sacrificed it. And and what does Paul, what does the Apostle Paul say about his own life and his own ministry? You can find this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is about sacrifice, our desires, our ambitions, our comforts, our time, our money. Listen, faithful followers, those who live their lives worthy of the gospel, they're willing to sacrifice everything and everything and anything for the Lord. By the way, the good news here, there's really good news here, that anyone can be willing. Anyone. Anyone can be available. Anyone can be faithful. Right? You can be a brilliant mind with a big heart like Paul. Right? You can be a loyal but caring servant, pastoral heart like Timothy. Or you can be a faithful, sacrificial delivery guy like Epaphroditus. Doesn't matter. 
God is in the business of using normal, everyday people who are simply faithful with the opportunities that God brings across their way. He's looking. God is looking. He's looking. He's searching for people who are willing to go, who are willing to serve, who are willing to sacrifice whenever, wherever, and to whoever. So the question is, question for us today is, do we have eyes and ears to see the opportunities that God is presenting to us around us? Are we listening to his voice? Are we taking the time to, to, to listen to the voice of God in our lives? Are, are, we ma- are we making ourselves available to him? Are you available to the Lord? Or do we say things like, you probably don't literally say this, but your actions say that you do. Do you say things like, hang on, God, let me check my calendar real quick. Right? I can't lick my finger. I want to. Turn the page. You can imagine. Okay? Let me check my calendar. Let me check my, uh, my, my, my schedule really quick. I know you, got, you want me to do some things. Let me see. Oh, I can pencil you in here. Right? Or do we live like that? Right? God is looking for and uses normal, everyday, willing people. And then the final principle I want to pull out of this text is we need to develop a heart, develop a heart that is centered on the things of Christ, develop a heart that's centered on the things of Christ or the gospel. Perhaps that more than anything, perhaps more than anything that we get out of this text, um, I want us to understand this point, okay? Perhaps more than anything. It's all good, (laughs) but perhaps more than anything, I want us to understand this point. That while certainly we can look to these men here, we can look at them. We can look to Paul. We can look to Timothy. We can look to at the example of Epaphroditus and try to imitate them. We, we can do that. It's okay to do that. But understand, that's really not Paul's main point here. Paul is not really saying here, you want to live a life worthy of the gospel? Be like us. Look at us. Right? Paul here, actually what he's doing, Paul is pointing beyond himself and these men, sort of like behind his shoulder, if you will, and he's pointing to Jesus. Because the point here is, not, don't look like us, look like Christ. Center your life, center your heart on him. Center your life, center your heart on the good news of the gospel. And honestly, honestly, this is the greatest thing that Paul, that Timothy, and Epaphroditus show us. They are examples to us of people whose lives were totally captivated by Jesus and the gospel. Again, just through our text today, just through our text today, it was read before in totality. Maybe you made note of this. Maybe you didn't, but you can skim through it. Just through our text today, it's so clear, isn't it? It's so clear how totally fixated on Jesus Paul is. In, in, in 2.19, he says, but I hope in what? The Lord Jesus. Verse 22, he says, Timothy served me in what? The gospel of Jesus. Verse 24, I trust in the Lord that I'm coming to you. When he mentions how Epaphroditus got better, he mentions that, right? He, he, he's recovered. He doesn't say, thank goodness he got better. I'm so happy he's, he's well. He says no. He says God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him and God had mercy on me. 
when he instructs the church to welcome Epaphroditus back into the church at Philippi, he tells them to do what? To receive him in the what? In the Lord with all joy. You see, Christ, Christ was the focal point of Paul's heart and his life. He can't even barely get through a sentence without mentioning Jesus or the gospel. And as we've worked through our text today, right, I'm sure you've noticed that with Timothy and Epaphroditus as well. Again, back to verse 21, we learn that Timothy's interest, what was his interest in life? Not his own, but who? But of Jesus Christ. That was his interest. Like how many of us out there, I, this is daily, right, struggle. I'm after my own interest. I care about my own well-being, right, my own worth. I do the things that I believe are going to bring me joy to how I live my life. Timothy, not after my own interest. I'm, I'm after the things of Christ. In verse 22, he served Paul. Why? Why did he do this? For the furthering of the message of the gospel. Not because, oh, Paul's like the Christian. Oh, I want to be attached to them. Maybe I'll, I'll take over his ministry one day. Right? Maybe I'll get a name or a reputation for myself. Maybe I'll be able to write some New Testament letters. No, no, no. I, I'm with Paul because I believe, I believe that it's worth it, that Jesus is worthy to give the totality of my life to. I'm doing this for the furthering of the gospel so that one, some, many may come to know Jesus. That's why he's in this. And with Epaphroditus, certainly he was serving, certainly he was serving for the sake of the gospel as well. And again, Paul, Paul tells us that, right? That he was doing the work of Christ. He wasn't the, by the way, he's not doing church work. Notice that as well. He's not doing the work of the church. Not doing church work, the church of Philippi. He's serving the church well. How many of you have heard that before? Well, they're just so faithful to the church. We're not looking for faithful. Here at Freedom, I'm not looking for you to be faithful to Freedom Village. I'm looking for you to be faithful to the gospel. Faithful to Christ. That's what we see here with Epaphroditus doing the work of Christ. He's a worker for the gospel, a soldier in Christ's army, a brother in Christ. And again, we, we, we saw that Epaphroditus had a care and a concern for people deeply. Why? Because he had a concern for the things of Christ. Right? So, so let's, be, let's be clear. Let's be clear. These men, these men are ama- they're amazing examples to us. Incredible examples to us in the way that they care for people, in the way that they serve others, in, in the way that they were available anytime, right? But beyond it all, beyond it all, their greatest example to us is the way that their hearts were centered on Jesus Christ and in how they were, they were gripped, just gripped by the things of the gospel. So if there's anything, I think there's a lot of things, but if there's anything we need to imitate from these guys, from these men, it's this. It's this. Because listen, listen to me. If we, are, if we are captivated, if you are captivated by the gospel, if you become gripped by Jesus, heart just just stirred, on fire for Christ, gripped, just totally wrapped, encompassed by him. For our hearts are centered on him. Listen, you will, we will be changed. 
And our lives, they will, they will, your life will display the worth of Jesus Christ. It will. I mean, when you think about Jesus, think about Jesus with me. Jesus humbled himself perfectly. Jesus put others above himself perfectly. He was always available. Always. You can read it. Night, day. He was always available. Always willing. Always willing. Willing to go wherever the Father told him to go. That's why he's always in prayer. He says, I can do nothing except for what the Father tells me. And so he's like, I don't even, my life, my very steps aren't even my own. I need to go be with the Father to find out what he wants me to do today. You imagine living your life that way? Bodies it perfectly, a willingness to go, to be sent. A willingness to serve anyone, anyone, anywhere. It didn't matter the reputation, male, female, doesn't matter your status. He was willing to serve, to teach, to care for anyone. The sick, the lame, right? The diseased, right? The Samaritan woman, right? He's not allowed to even be in that territory to even touch her. In her presence, she's dirty in the view of the people, right? He's willing to be there to serve. And of course, of course, Jesus, willing to sacrifice anything, even his very own life. Jesus is the one, Paul tells us, Jesus is the one who laid down his rights, his authority, his position, priority in heaven. Jesus is the one who became obedient to death on the cross. Think about Jesus. When you think about those things, when you think about Christ, doesn't that give you the desire? Doesn't it push you a little bit to want to be available for him? To be willing to go anywhere, anytime, to anyone, for him. And does, it, does, it not make you, does it not make you want to genuinely care and serve others? When you consider the care and the concern that Jesus has shown to you, to me. So let me just end end by asking you today, let me just end by asking you today a simple question. How, how are you doing with all this? How are you doing with all this? Do you have a genuine love and care for others? Genuinely? Are you able, how is it for you? Are you able to put others and their interests above yourself and your own interests? Are you able to do that? Sincerely, do you look for opportunities to do that? How about your availability? Now I'm, now I'm going to a sensitive place. I'm talking about your time. How about your availability? Are you available to Jesus and for Jesus? Or are you trying to make it through this life doing the bare minimum for him, hoping nobody will notice, even him? Just trying to sort of skirt your way quickly as the door is creeping into heaven. 
just trying to make it in. That's good enough. Just whatever, what's the minimum I have to do? Which honestly, which honestly, if that's you, you're in that place, you're just trying to do the bare minimum, it shows that, that shows, not just the world, it shows the church, it shows, shows Jesus. He's not that important. He's not that special. He's not that worthy. It also shows maybe, maybe just maybe, you don't truly understand the gospel. And you don't truly understand all that he's done for you. People who understand that Jesus has given everything, that Jesus has given everything to them, turn around and give everything to him. Always. So, so where's your heart today? Where's your heart? Is it centered on the things of Christ? Is it centered on the things of the gospel? I want you to know this. Sincerely, I, I pray that it is. I, I pray, I pray that you are actively pursuing Jesus with your life. And that here, here in this local church, small town in Hebongchun, I, I pray that we're helping you get to know him. That we're helping you to get to know Jesus. Because I believe if you know him, you'll be available to him. You'll serve him. You'll sacrifice anything to him. You'll go anywhere, do anything. I hope we're helping you on that journey. I mean, just for a second, imagine, just imagine with me what, imagine what me, with me what God could do through us, what God could do in our city, in our city, through us here, if we began, actually began to live like Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. Imagine if all of us made a commitment to do this. Imagine if we just always, always, didn't matter what it is, we're not even asking questions, if our answer is just yes to Jesus. If our yes was just always on the table. Jesus is sitting there across from him, you could kind of picture it, and he's like, hey, I gotta ask you a question, and it's just yes. Doesn't matter the question, the answer is yes. Imagine if that we had that heart. If we were always willing to go anywhere, serve anyone, sacrifice anything for Jesus. Imagine if we were like that. If we lived our lives like that, if that was the posture of our hearts, imagine what he could do through us. Listen, Jesus, Jesus uses everyday, ordinary, willing people to advance his purposes in the world. So let's participate in this. Let's ask, let's ask God, let's ask the Lord, to redeem our natural selfishness and turn it into supernatural, sacrificial service for his glory and the good of others. And then let me just encourage you to start somewhere. Right? Start somewhere. Start serving. Start serving. Look for opportunities to do that. Right, anywhere, anytime. Right, just find a way. To, just find a way to care for someone. Find a, a way to love, love somebody. Even today, don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today after the service. You got a whole half of a day left. Find a way to do this. At worst, this week, it could look like so many things. Maybe it is getting an emotional family. Maybe it is joining a serve team. Or maybe it's just 
sending an encouraging message to somebody, maybe just getting together with somebody for coffee just for the purpose of praying for them. Anything. Start somewhere. Taking a coworker to lunch. Buying that lunch. So you can genuinely, don't even sit there for an hour and don't talk about yourself. Try that. When's the last time you've done that? You got together with somebody and your concern was them totally, not you. I'm not getting into this meeting to talk about myself. You've probably told about yourself to every other person, you know, the last five people you're with. What it look like just, I just want to know about you. Just tell me everything. How can I pray for you? And then, and then, let's actively pursue. Let's strive. Let's strive together. Hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, linked arms, linked arms. Let's strive to become imitators of Paul, of Timothy, and Epaphroditus. But even beyond them, to become imitators of our Lord Jesus himself. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you.